0: You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Hope Church. Thank you for engaging with us. If you would like more information about our church family, please visit www.covenanthope.church. We pray that this sermon encourages and challenges you today. Well good morning, Covenant Hope. Would you grab a Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 11? Guess, my name is Cody. I'm one of the pastors here now the opportunity to open up the scriptures. For us regularly, Uh, but before I start this morning, I do want to take a specific time uh, and let you know I've spoken to a couple of you, and some of you may know uh, a longtime member of our church, Miss Mildred Davis, passed away this morning uh, with uh, family and friends around her. Uh, We will let you know about uh, the services and things to come. We do plan for those to be here, but she will have to be moved here from South Carolina. I do want to pray for for her. Uh, She's with the Lord. And uh, pray for those who are caring for us. So just pray with me for just a moment. God in heaven, we are thankful for the testimony of, uh, of Miss Mildred and how she uh, proclaimed the gospel here a long time at this church. God, I pray uh, for Jerry and Melba and others who are caring for, for them and caring for all the details. I pray that you would make those smooth. Uh, we are thankful for the gospel that we just sang of the resurrection that now uh, she is experiencing eternal life and in one day we will be reunited with all those including her at the resurrection when jesus returns god would you uh, be with those who uh, are hurt by this news would you be with those um, and comfort them we love you and we ask this in jesus name amen If you are a guest today, we normally walk through books of the Bible together because we want to know what God has to say. So if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of those hardcovered Bibles in front of you and turn to page 8 and follow along with us. We're going to continue in worship. We're going to preach uh, God's Word. We call it preaching because we believe the Bible has something to say. And we believe that God's Word has been revealed to us. And that means whether you're a Christian or not, you're called to respond to God's Word. You're called to... to live in light of what it says because we do believe it's true. If you are not a believer today, though, it's a safe place for you to ask questions about who God is and about who His people are. It's a safe place for you to dig into God's people, and we hope that this is a place you can see that. So I hope that you will engage this morning, engage with God's Word. It's actually a great week if you are just, uh, maybe you were here for Easter with us last week, maybe this is your first Sunday. Uh, We're going to be finishing kind of the first section of Genesis here at the end of chapter 11. And we're going to have an opportunity here in just a moment to kind of review all the things that have happened up to this point. And so as we start, I want you to think about something. And I think most of you probably have been in this situation before. How many of you have crammed studying all night for that test the next morning. How many of you have studied, Nate says he has, how many of you have actually stayed up all night and crammed for that test. I've done that multiple times. I I think there are many of you teachers in the room. Um, We didn't do that. We're just kidding. We we totally didn't do that. We actually prepared weeks in advance for that test. Uh, No, that that really didn't happen very often. We actually crammed before most tests. And so you get to the test, right? You you get there that morning, you're ready to go. You have everything in your mind. You write all the answers down to to that test. You take the test up to your teacher. And by the time that paper hits the desk, what's happened? You have forgotten everything that you just learned because you crammed all that information. That's why we're walking through Genesis in the way we are because we come to Genesis not just to learn about ideas. We come to learn about who God is. And there's no way to cram all the things about God into one night of studying or to one week of studying. We have to come to God's word and we have to, have to sit ourselves underneath it over and over and over again. We're not reviewing for a test. Oftentimes we walk in our lives and we just go about our days thinking that everything's fine. We're fooled into thinking that we are in control, fooled that it's, everything's fine. And when that hard situation comes, we, we open up our Bibles and we try to flip and find what does God's word say about this? But in fact, we should have been studying all along. We should be, have sought the Lord all along. We don't want to be cramming Christians. We want to be Christians who are learning and reviewing and reflecting on who God is all the time. And I think today is an opportunity for us to do that when we come to the end of Genesis chapter 11. So here's what we're going to see this morning. This genealogy shows God's faithfulness and how he will work through the rest of Genesis to bring restoration. Uh, We've titled the series, God's Story of of Creation to Restoration. God uh, is restoring a creation that rebelled against him. And so here in chapter 11, we're going to see a pattern for how God is going to restore his creation. And if you're a disciple today, We talk lots about making mature disciples. It's our mission here. And so if you're a disciple, what should you do today? What we learn about God should cause us to respond in faith to God. Our faith should help us respond rightly to him. I want you to see the grandness and the beauty of God so that you will trust him in faith with every fiber of your being. In every aspect of your life, you trust him fully in faith. But as we start, we might ask the question, what is faith? I think Hebrews 11.1 actually gives us the best uh, definition. It's the simplest, yet it's the most concrete definition that we have. The writer says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is not wishful thinking. It is reasonable, yet also trusting. And so as we walk through our passage this morning, I pray that your faith is strengthened in the God that we have learned about through these first 11 chapters. So I wanna show us four people, four people that will will help us learn lessons about who God is. They teach us about who God is. Now, again, we've seen a few genealogies now we often skip over them but we're gonna we're gonna slow down and look at this one because these people help us know who God is they help us think about who God is so number one we're gonna look at Shem the son of Noah and he is going to show us the promises of God look there at verse 10 these are the family records of Shem Shem lived 100 years and fathered Arpachshad two years after the flood he fathered Arpachshad and Shem lived five hundred years and fathered other sons and daughters. The first name of this genealogy is familiar to us. We've seen him multiple times at this point. Right, he's before the ark. Uh, he's with Noah on the ark. He's after the ark, and now he's here. We've seen him the last five chapters of Genesis, and it's time for us to look backwards and consider all the things that have happened. And what we have learned about the promises of God. You see, the genealogy is similar to the genealogy in Genesis 5. There you see Genesis 5 trace the promise of blessing from Seth to Noah. That God will do what he said he's going to do. He's going to crush the head of a serpent. But he would do that through the seed of the woman. From Eve to Seth, from Seth to Noah, and Noah to Shem, all the way to Abram. God will fulfill his promises. And Genesis chapter 5 and now Genesis chapter 11 help us trace those promises. These first 11 chapters reveal to us a few things. It first reveals to us who God is. It also reveals who we are, created in his image but sinned. And thirdly, it reveals the problem that we all face. And after this week, Genesis chapter 12 is going to introduce God's plan to restore all things to himself. And now this chapter helps set up what's going to happen in the following stories. God's solution to sin is important because sin is a big problem. Now, I don't want you to miss that important phrase, In verse 10. It says these are the family records. It's been mentioned multiple times, five times up to this point. And this passage provides the last two, at least in the last two of the end of the start of Genesis. This phrase helps us trace God's promises. It shows us how the story fits together. First we saw in Genesis chapter 2 verse 4, these are the family records of the earth, of the entire planet, of Adam and Eve. This is the beginning of humanity. Adam and Eve are created by God. They're created in his image to worship and obey him, to spread and cultivate worship all around the world. They're to bring God the most glory possible. That's what they were made to do. But during this first genealogy and the stories that follow, they decide to sin and not trust God's promises. They did not believe that he had provided everything they needed for them. They did not believe that he was for them. So Adam and Eve usher sin into the world. Sin is the doorway to death and separation from God. And sin distorts God's good creation in Genesis chapter 3. And maybe on the worst day in history, there's a small ray of hope. God promises in Genesis 3.15 that there will be a seed of the woman... Who will come and crush the head of the serpent. And we should all back up and say, wait a second, she should die. And in God's mercy, Eve is allowed to live. And not just live, but to actually have children. That there can be life despite death that's entered into because of sin. A child will be born. And he will defeat the serpent. But very quickly, sin becomes a massive problem for God's good creation. It doesn't take very long for sin and violence to emerge and to even reign. In Genesis chapter 4, we see Cain kill his brother. And we see even a descendant of Cain who who brags about his violence and they build a city. They don't need God anymore. We see how big and how powerful sin actually is. But we get to Genesis chapter 5, and there's a ray of hope. Here's Seth and his line, and they walk with God. Enoch walks with God and they they know him. But it shows ultimately that this line from Adam and Eve will continue. And God will protect it. And God will make sure it happens. So Genesis 5 and 11 help us see that God is working despite sin in the world. The promise is going to happen. It's going to be fulfilled. But sin is not just a problem for the few. It's not just a problem out there. It's a problem in here. It's a problem in here. So when we get to Genesis 6, the whole world is corrupt. That's what God says. He looks at the world and all of it is corrupt. There is no good person, but one finds favor in God's sight. And that's Noah. Noah finds God's favor. Noah receives God's grace to have faith. It is there in chapter 6, verse 9, where we see these are the family records of Noah. And now the story zooms in on Noah. It gives the family records and it zooms in on him and his three sons. God's promise to bring forth a son to destroy sin. And Satan keeps him, keeps God from wiping out the whole planet. At least one family. So God sends a flood. He protects Noah. But because he's made this promise, God must, he must protect this line, this, this family. God's promises must come to fruition. And then he even says at the end of this, he knows how terrible sin is. He knows how humanity is going to continue to sin. And God says, I will never destroy the world in this way ever again. We see God's mercy. Even Noah sins. And those events lead his son Ham to sinning as well. And sin, It's not just a problem for the few again, but it's a problem for the entire human race. So what's God going to do? How is he going to keep his promise? God God keeps the line of Eve open. How is he going to do that? This is where Shem comes into play. When we think of Shem, we think of all that God has done up to his life. He is the line of blessing. He is where the promised one will come from. You may ask, how do I know that? How do I know that Shem's line is the promised line? There are a couple reasons. Well, one, back in chapter 9, Noah blessed Shem. Noah blessed Shem. And it's an important feature that we're going to see again later in the book of Genesis. And we get to Babel, and it's the curse line. It's not the line, any of no one walks with God. They They all are prideful and rebel against him. And Shem culminates in the next story, though. He culminates in the line of Abraham, of Abram, the family where Israel will come from. In fact, an interesting note is that Shem's name actually means name. So you name your son, name. I mean, what a a fantastic thing to do. Name, come here, would you? And so his name is a bridge to the past and to look forward to the future. Let me show you what I mean. Cain named a city after his son. Why do people name things? For fame, in greatness and honor. Babel wanted to make a great name for themselves. But would God give up on his promises just because Babel wanted to be like God? No, God will make a great name for his people through the family of Shem and really Abraham. This family will become a nation, an eternal kingdom. This is what God's doing. We've seen God's mercy and his grace We've seen him keep his promises. God can be trusted. You can know that he has worked for you in the past. He's working for you now. And that informs how you live today. But oftentimes we forget that cramming fades away. And we, we, we then begin to lean on our own power and in our own strength. But, but God God has shown us how he will work and that should inform how he will work in the future because God doesn't change. So you can trust him. You can give every part of your being to him. No matter what comes to you, no matter what you face, no matter what sin you think is overtaking you, God is there and working for you. And oftentimes it doesn't look like that. But when we look to the past, when we look to God's Word, we see that our God is working. Therefore, we can have faith in Him. Because God is who He says He is, and God will do what He says He will do. But how can we trust in these promises? We have to know them. We have to read God's Word. Every week we come to God's Word to hear from it and to be transformed by it, to be preached to, to learn This is why we do that, because we get to know God's promises. But this isn't the only time. You should read your Bible and read who God is and read what He's done so that you can learn and grow, so that you can reflect on who God is. Take it one step at a time. Maybe you're you're not reading your Bible much. Just read one chapter a day. Read one verse a day. God's word is, I believe one verse of God's word can begin to change your life. One a day. We will not know God's promises unless we know how He's revealed himself in His word. We can trust the promises of God. and Shem show us that. Now now we see the genealogy, we see it play out. From verse 12 all the way down to verse 26, we go from Arpakshad and Shelah and Eber and all the other ones, and we get down to Terah in verse 26. See, here's the thing Seth's line points us to God's promises. There are going to be seven sons after Shem, right? the, The number of perfection when we get to the next family record. God will keep his promise, but he's also patient. God's also patient. Look look there at Terah. He's going to show us the patience of God. Look at verse 27. These are the family records of Terah. There's that phrase again. We're going to slow down now and look at the family of Terah. And really, we're going to look at the family of Abram over the the rest of Genesis. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Just like Noah, Terah has three sons. And just like Shem was the first son listed, Abram is the first son listed because that's where the line is going through. And these sons, they help us connect back to uh, the story. And it also helps introduce other characters like Lot that we're going to see here in a few weeks. Verse 28, Haran died in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans during his father Terah's lifetime. And I also want you to know it's something very important. It'd be easy to, to overlook this, to, over, to, to miss this in a genealogy. This genealogy never once, except the end, mentions death. It just says, this man fathered this son and had many other sons and daughters, and then it moves on. There's no death until the end in this genealogy. And I think that's really important. Because if you look back to Genesis 5, We saw death beat like a drum. He had a son and then he died. He had a son and lived so many years and then he died. I I think there's a ray of hope here. Despite sin and death, God is working his plan. God is working to bring forth the promised seed. God is being patient with Shem's line so that he can fulfill his promises. In fact, he's even patient when they turn away from him. Look at verse 31. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, Terah's son, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, and his son Abram's wife, and they set out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to the land of Canaan. When they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and died in Haran. Now I want you to notice where Terah and Abram end up settling. They settle outside the land of Canaan. We know, Israel knows, that the land of Canaan is the promised land. So, so they almost get there, but they stop. And what we see later in the Bible is that when Israel, when the Israelites go to take over Canaan, right, they go to, to receive the promised land, there's lots of people there in this land. We see that in Genesis chapter 10. But they also have many different gods. It's a land of idolatry. God is not worshipped in these lands. And so Terah, they they stop. They live there. Joshua 24 tells us some some more important information. Joshua 24, 2 says, Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. God is patient, even when, when the family line was supposed to be worshiping God, multiplying disciples, multiplying worship, helping others worship God. Instead, they turned to idols and worshiped them. Our God is patient. Our God is patient. God's patience, though, is, is demonstrated in mercy. God can say, no, no I'm good. I'm going I'm, I'm to move on and go with somebody else. But God doesn't do that. God's God's patient with Terah and even Abram. Has God not shown the same kind of patience with you and with me? Has he not shown that patience with others who he calls to salvation? Did he not call us out of idolatry and sin? How long did God have to work on our hearts before we turned to him in faith and trust? God is even patient with us now. For those of us who are Christians, there are plenty of sin struggles that we could all talk about. The sin struggles we don't want to talk about, we don't want to share. God is patient with us. Why? Because we've been been saved from sin. We've been given the Holy Spirit. We have the power of the Holy Spirit to turn away from sin. And God is still patient with us when we choose to sin. And we choose to go back to those idols. God is patient calling us back. Leading us to a stronger faith. Because every time we sin, God doesn't want us to go in the corner and, and pout about it. God wants us to come to him, ask for forgiveness, and trust him in faith. That's what God wants. And his patience, he's offering us an opportunity to trust him deeper. That's what Terah shows us, is that although they had turned away from God, they had gone to another land, worshipped other idols, God's patient. God's patient. And when we see the patience of God, our faith can grow deeper. But God's not just, he's not just waiting for things to work out. God's not like, you know, what what, comes around, what goes around comes around. That's not what he's thinking. And no, God's patient, but he's also working. Our God's a working God. and He works in the middle of sin and brokenness. Look there at the person of Sarah in verse 29. We're going to see the power of of God. And I want you to look there verse 29 because Moses introduces Abram but he also introduces his wife and this is really important. Look there verse 29. Abram and Nahor took wives. Abram's wife was named Sarai and Nahor's wife was named Milka. She was the daughter of Haran and the father of both Milka and Iscah. Sarai was unable to conceive. She did not have a child. Now we learn of these three women and this is extremely important. The first time we see any women in the genealogy in any part of Genesis is here. They're very rare in the Bible for women to be actually in the genealogy and it's even more rare for women to be in any ancient Near Eastern genealogies. She should have red flags popping up in your mind. Why does Moses talk about Sarai? What's going on? Well, these two other ladies help point the passage is driving to this point in verse 30 there's an astonishing note she's barren she cannot have children just to state the obvious genealogies they're there to show the the record so that we can trace the advancing of the line And without someone who can provide children that line's going to stop it can't happen if she can't have children Now, thinking about all that we've learned about God, especially his promises, how is the promise he going to come if if she can't have children? And it's through this family, though, a lowly family, an unable family, that God will keep his promises and work out his plan of restoration and salvation for the entire world. Nothing is going to stop God, not even barrenness. And to be honest, Sarah's barrenness is just the beginning. I told you as we started Genesis, it's going to be like a soap opera. There are going to be obstacles and challenges about every week. Somebody's going to do something to mess up the blessing, and God's going to be patient, and He's going to be kind, and He's going to keep His promises over and over and over again. It is just the first of many problems that these obstacles that we're going to encounter. But this is maybe one of the biggest problems that we're going to encounter. You see, not even barrenness will stop God. Nothing can keep God from keeping his promises. Nothing can keep God from keeping his promises. And God will demonstrate his power even over life itself. It's difficult for us to consider how alarming this would have been for Israel to hear about this woman who who can't have children. They know there is nothing they can do. There's no medicine, there's no technology, there's nothing. The line cannot continue. What's God going to do? It doesn't shock us in the same way. But our God has the power over life itself. And he wants to offer that life to anyone who will place their faith in him. You see, we know the story. We know that Abraham and Sarah are going to have a son. We know that because we know the story. But that, that leads us to, to what God is really doing that God sent his own son into the world to live a perfect life and to die on the cross. And as we celebrated last week, that he was raised from the grave. The same God who has power to open up a mother's womb has the power to open up the tomb from the grave, that Jesus can now stand up and reign from heaven. This is the God that we believe in. This is the power that our God has. And oftentimes we just skip over. Yeah, we, we know the story. We know what God has done, but do we really consider the power that our God has to offer dead people life in the gospel? That our God can make dead people walk and live, and not just alive, but he can make them useful in his kingdom. This is the power that God has bought you from the kingdom of darkness through Jesus' blood, now gave you new life, and now says, hey, I want you to help. I want you to make disciples. I want you to help other people know who I am. This is the power of God. And may we never forget it. That All of us were once dead in our sin. But now we live and reign with Jesus Christ. And this is is true too, that there is nothing that God cannot overcome in your life. I'm not saying he's going to fix every problem. I'm not not saying that he can fix every sickness or heal you from everything. He doesn't always do that. But what I am saying to you is that God overcame your biggest obstacle, that you were dead in your sin, that you were in the kingdom of Satan, that you were sinners, that we were sinful. Will God not take care of you? Will God not keep you? For those of you who are praying for the salvation of a loved one, keep on praying because our God is powerful enough to save them. For those of you who are praying for a loved one who is sick, keep on praying because our God is able to heal them. But even if he doesn't, we know that our God has come through, that he has overcome our biggest obstacles. Then we, we should trust him. We can have faith in his power. Of course, this doesn't mean that Christians won't struggle or we won't have difficult lives. The New Testament speaks of many difficulties that the apostles and the disciples went through. So if God is powerful enough to overcome our biggest obstacles, then what should we do? We should have faith in his plan. We should have faith in his plan. Look there at Abram in verse 31. We're going to see the plan of God now. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, and his daughter-in-law, Sarai, and his son's wife, and they set out together from Ur of the Chaldeans, to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. As we look at Genesis, it looks like it's possible that God, he's just going to let things spin out of control. Terah and Abram, they're there in the land of, of idols, false gods. But Abram, he is the promised line. The line of promise is not lost. God is still working. Corey ten Boom once said, There is no panic in heaven. God has no problems. Only plans. God knows. And God is in control. You see, the thing is, you can't mess up God's plans. Here's what I mean by that. What I'm saying is not that, well, God made Abram go into these lands and worship other gods. That's not true. God doesn't call sin. He's not the author of sin. So so God is still in control, but we also have human responsibility. We see the tension here of human responsibility. But even in the midst of that, that we decide when we sin, we're saying we're going to go against God. And in God's mercy and patience, he allows that. Because he's moving to a direction where all sin and all pain and all death will be dealt with. But you can't mess up God's plan. He is sovereign. We are not robots on a string. But in the end, God's plan will come to fruition. And take note of this observation. Abram is the 10th generation. He's the 10th generation in this genealogy. 10 representing the number of perfection. And it points us to God's perfect plan. There is nothing to worry about. God is in full control and he is not caught off guard. Abram will be the father of Israel through Sarah, Abram's wife, And that family will become an an eternal nation, a kingdom of priests who will glorify God and worship him forever. But again, and I I said this last week, oftentimes we we come to situations in our lives and we want to know what's God want from us, what's God's plan. If it's difficult, then we should leave. That's not the case at all. God is working despite all the difficult details in your life. And just because it's difficult doesn't mean that it's not God's plan. God calls us out of sin and death and darkness. And we're going to walk in this world and trust him. Trust in his plan. God knows exactly where Abram is and he knows exactly where you are. If God has called you to something, he's going to help you walk through it. And God's people are going to help you walk through it. Over the following weeks, we're going to see God make good on his promise. He's going to reveal himself to Abram in a a mighty way. You see, the first step the first step to trusting God in faith, the first step to restoration and redemption is revelation. We don't see it here at the end of Genesis 11, but we see it next week. God reveals himself to Abram. He reveals himself to him, and then he reveals himself. This is my promise, and this is my plan. This is what I'm going to do. And if you're Abraham, you're thinking, this is crazy, because I have a wife who cannot have children. But God's plan will not be stopped. God reveals his plan for restoration. God's going to make a nation. Shem's line is going to culminate in the nation of Israel. And Israel is going to culminate in the church. And the church will be God's people forever. They will flourish and experience restoration as long as they trust him. Have faith in him. That they trust his word. Throughout Genesis, we've seen this idea of blessing and cursing. If we trust God and do what he says, we will receive blessing. We will experience flourishing. But if we don't do what God says, and we go against that, we will experience what we've asked for. We should trust in God's revelation. Abraham should trust in God's revelation, his word. And we should trust in God's revelation to us. That we now walk in faith. That we now trust the gospel. The Bible is one way we learn who God is. You see, this is God's plan all along to bring a son from a lowly nation, from a lowly family, that Jesus, the Messiah, will be brought, that Jesus, the revelation of God, will come into the world. We can trust Jesus because we're trusting that God has revealed himself fully to us. And God's revelation should lead us to a deeper faith. We don't have every detail of the plan. We don't, I wish, I wish I had a roadmap. I do really well. Turn the phone on, here we go, I'm ready to go. Gives me every step of the way. But God doesn't do that for us. He asks us to trust him. We have part of the plan. We know the end, but we don't have all the steps in between. But we can trust him. Despite whatever we face, despite whatever obstacles, we can trust him. Why can we trust him? Because he sent his own son into the world, into the messiness, into the brokenness, to die for you and me. That's why I know we can trust God. Because his son hung on a bloody Roman cross, was beaten and mocked and scorned, and was in the place that we should have been in. That's how I know we can trust God. That's how I know we can have faith in him. Jesus is the culmination of, what, of God's promises. And you see, church, our faith is demonstrated by our actions and our beliefs. What we say we believe and what we do demonstrates our faith. Where is your faith today? Have you been trying to cram? Have you walked into that test just trying to, just trying to get through and done nothing to prepare for it? Our faith works itself out in our beliefs and our actions. We're going to stumble. We're going to fall. That's why he's given us a family. That's why he's given us the Holy Spirit. What we learn about God should cause us to respond in faith to him. I want you to see the beauty of God. And I pray this morning, even in a genealogy, even in just learning about some people in the Old Testament, you see the beauty and grandness of God. In the way that you maybe haven't thought about before, I pray that we are people who faith is what drives us. That we trust Him, no matter what comes, no matter what obstacles stand in front of us. We trust God because Jesus is going to come back. He was raised from the grave, and He will return to get His people. Will you trust Him? Will you lean in on Him daily? And have faith in him and ask him to grow it. Pray with me. God, I pray that we would be a people who trust in you fully. That our faith is strengthened. And often we don't want to go through trials, but it is those trials and difficulties that help us have a deeper and stronger faith. And when those trials come, that we be surrounded by each other so that we may walk out the gospel and its truth and trust you. When there are times that we need to, to deepen our faith, need to trust you, would you help us? Just like the man who cried to Jesus, help my unbelief. God, help us trust you and believe in you. Lord, we love you. and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.